this time on the Fountains Fellowship Fort Worth, the podcast. Guest speaker and <clears throat> student pastor extraordinaire Peyton Smith delivers the second message in the I Believe in You series, in which he implores us to remember that we are responsible for imparting spiritual life into the next generation. Our jobs as Christians are not through until we have passed along a strong foundation in faith to the leaders of tomorrow. Here's Peyton. Hey, I have li- There we go. Ooh. Good morning. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to need a little bit more energy from you guys. I'm sorry. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I'm, I've been on a diet for the past week. My blood sugar's a little low. And Cam says, my wife uh, says that I'm boring on a good day. So we need to make sure that we keep the energy up, everybody. So one more time. Thank you. Yes, yes. Perfect, perfect. Okay. Thank you. So glad you came out on this Memorial Day weekend. Let's give a hand for our servicemen and women who are out there fighting for our country. And all those that we've lost. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, okay. Is there something? I'm sorry. I'm a tech guy at heart. So is there a little? Hum- okay. We got it. Cool. All right. So last week, Pastor Samuel uh, started this series, I Believe in You. He started talking about um, the next generation. This week, I'm going to continue down that track, but uh, with a different perspective. Today, I want to talk about the friends, the guides, the guardians, and the parents of the next generation. That's who I'm talking to today, um, which should actually be everybody in this room, okay? Um, this actually works out perfectly that we're focusing a little bit on parenting today because we're smack dab in the middle of the parental season. You guys know that? We're two weeks away from, uh, or three weeks away from Father's Day, two weeks from Mother's Day, and um, we, uh, this, type of, this time of season, we um, have a little I don't know, we kind of get wrapped up in these facepalm holidays, okay? All too often, we kind of lose the focus of what these days are really about, which is actually appreciating our parents. Instead, they become about last-minute uh, gift shopping, you know? I call it a facepalm holiday because uh, it's just like, oh, I can't believe I forgot the flowers, or oh, I, uh, I can't believe I thought that a necktie that would double as a bottle opener would make a good gift. <laughs> but, son, I don't drink. Well, you can now. <laughs> well, I want to. I think these holidays should be more important to us than that because parenthood is important, amen? I want to be a parent. Um, I'm a godfather. I, uh, I love kids. I'm a godfather and an uncle. Um, the reason why I love kids probably, most of you would say, is because I don't have any. Um, but uh, there's nothing like that feeling walking into my niece's or my goddaughter's house and, and you know, spread my arms wide as they, they jump up and they run at us and they yell, Aunt Cam, you came! And then all of a sudden, my enthusiasm kind of fades a little bit. But I still love them. Um, my job as a godfather is a whole lot simpler than being a parent. Um, mainly, my job is just to um, always have gum. This is how I measure success. Um, and uh, it's, it's pretty easy to achieve. But uh, I don't have to make the hard decisions yet. Um, I don't have to decide on corporal punishment. I don't have to decide if I have to yell at them. I don't have to decide on these type of things. It's, it's so much harder being a parent than being a godfather or an uncle because I can load them up on sugar and then send them home. Go, 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 go. For your parents to deal with. It's awesome. But the way I define success is purely if I have gum or if they had a good time. But how do we measure success as a parent? More broadly, because I'm not just talking to parents today, how do we define success in raising the next generation? Um, Max, I want you to throw up that first statement for me. It starts with culture says. 
Okay, based on a number of different factors, number of different um, ways that we look at uh, the media and, uh, and postings on Facebook, what I think culture really says about success as a parent is this. Culture says success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. How do we feel about that? Okay. <laughs> How do we really measure our success? Okay. Is this really the metric that we should be following? Because although it sounds great, I think there's some stuff missing here, guys. Well-rounded. I want to be well-rounded, I'll confess to a degree, but I think that there's something that we, else that we're missing here. I have a, one of my best friends, and honestly the reason why I'm a godfather is because of a man named Spencer Todd. He works out front, Spencer's awesome, give Spencer a hand. Okay, Spencer's awesome for a number of reasons. One of them is Spencer knows about 50% of everything. He confesses to this. And he frowns upon it. At one point, we were actually driving out of downtown Fort Worth, which, if any of you know, if you, if you haven't had to deal with that as a, as a novice, as the first time, it can be daunting. And uh, Spencer all of a sudden pipes up with directions. Oh, you're going to take a left here, you're going to take a right there, you're going to do this, you're going to turn around, you're going to do a figure eight, and then we're going to be on the highway. And I just looked at him midway through, and I was like, how do you know this? <sighs> Man, I know about 50% of everything. And I said, why is that a bad thing? He goes, I don't have any specialty, man. I don't have a specialized field that I know everything about. Peyton, you know movies. I said, yeah, I do. He goes, I don't have that. So I think that what we need to be focusing on, yes, well-roundedness has its place, but I think that what else we need to focus on is, is developing a specialty. Whenever you hire somebody at a job, you don't want somebody that's well-rounded. You want somebody that's specialized in the field that you're hiring for. So well-rounded, yes, but something more. Well-educated. I'm all for it. Like a lot of my students are in the room right now, they're leaning forward. It's like, is he about to badmouth education? No, education is absolutely necessary. You have to survive in this world, learn about it. Okay? But I think that whenever we're memorizing facts, whenever we're focusing on figures, whenever we're memorizing dates, we're missing something. And what we're missing are honor, loyalty, faithfulness. These virtues that kind of get bypassed on the way to just making the grade educated, but with an addendum to focus on those virtues as well. Yes, oh please, hot dog, amens. This, this needs to be a place where we actually feel the spirit of God and we say it out loud, amen? All right, and happy. All right, let's talk about happy for a second. Happy is, sounds amazing, makes me happy just to hear it, but I've got some pictures here that I want to show you here, all right? So, um, Mattis, will you throw up that first picture I had, the, the, the happy picture? There we go. Look at these. These are my goddaughters, everybody. I love them. These are the Todd girls, if you don't know them. That's Thea. That's the newest one. She's adorable. This just By the way, this was just taken last week, last Sunday, after uh, uh, Maddie, that's the one in the center. She's the oldest. Uh, she had a dance recital. Um, what's Champion Kids? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> so um, this was taken right after that. And look, they're all so happy. Aren't they beautiful? And uh, so there's Thea, that's Maddie, and then there's Bailey here on the end, okay? And Bailey, Bailey's my, uh, my character. I love Bailey so much. She's, she's always got a smile for me, a big hug. And uh, anyway, I want you to focus on Bailey, though, for a second. Take a look. See how happy she is? That is just a smile of pure joy. Maddox, next picture. Happiness is fleeting, people. <laughs> Happiness is fleeting. All it takes is a bad photographer to capture that moment. She didn't like him, that's what we get. 
Happiness is fleeting. It, 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 it de- deals with happenings. It deals with circumstance. If you're under the right circumstances, you can be happy. But if those circumstances change, there you go. So, what I think we need to be focusing on instead is being filled with the joy of the Lord. Because the joy of the Lord, it, it knows no whatever face that is. No matter what comes your way, you can always find happiness if you have the joy of the Lord in your heart. You can always find that joy. But, as I said, was, so is a statement all that we want for our kids. It might get them a good job. It uh, might get them a nice house, etc. But when we put it in the context of this next scripture, should this be all we're looking for when we're raising the next generation? Jesus asks us this in uh, Matthew 16, 26. May I ask, go ahead. Okay, here we go. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world? In this particular case, we're talking about being well-rounded, being well-educated, being happy, um, and yet forfeits his soul. All the, educated ha- all the education, happiness, and well-roundedness in the world isn't going to add up to much if we're not meeting the spiritual needs of the next generation. It's important to realize that it's up to us to impart spiritual life into the next generation. That's our job. As parents, as guardians, as friends, that's what we're so supposed to do. As Christians, that's our goal. That's what we should be doing. Parents oftentimes want, our kid, want their kids to have more than they did whenever they were growing up. It's what you hear a lot. It's like, I wish that they were better set up for success, that they had everything that I had and more. But if we're not conveying the importance of a spiritual life and of growing, up in a, and of growing in a relationship with God, we're not really doing our job. We're shortchanging them. One of the best illustrations of this principle is in this prayer by David. It's in Psalms. Psalm 71, 18. It says here, Even when I am old and gray, or in my case, bald as a cue ball, because it's coming. It's already there almost. Do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Give me strength, Lord, that I might carry your word forward to the next generation. David knew his job wasn't through until he passed on this knowledge. And that, ladies and gentlemen, should be our example to live by. So I'm going to actually throw up another standard. Not throw up, that sounds terrible. I'm going to put up a a word up here, a new standard for us to live by, guys. Maddox, go ahead. It's uh, the one that says, we are called. We are called. To unleash, unleash. I love strong verbs, don't you? That's what we call in writing terms a strong verb, unleash. It gives you a, a, a picture in your back of your brain, right, of like you're going to release something, a dog or a cat or a ferret or a baby. I don't know, people are weird. But you're going to unleash them, and they're going to go do whatever they were meant to do that entire time. Generally with the dog, it's like, go potty. But we want to unleash them. We want to let them go, do what they need to do, okay? So unleash, single-minded, Single-minded means razor-focused on a single goal, right? Absolutely focused on a single goal. And what is that goal? To save the lost. We want them to be single-mindedly focused on saving the lost. Christ-centered. People, why are we here? Why did you come to a Christian church this morning? Except to focus your life on Christ. You felt like maybe you were missing out and you decided to come to a Christian church. We want them to be Christ-centered because that's what our goal should be. It should also be theirs. Biblically anchored. Anchored. It's another strong word. I love that word. Anchor. I, I love any word that has a C-H and makes a K sound. 
Like, uh, you know, that's why I was in choir. That's why I studied chemistry. That's why I pronounced Chalupa Kalupa. Just to, just to prove a point. Biblically anchored. We want them to be anchored by the Bible. Because the Bible needs to hold you in place. Whenever um, the world is pelting you, see, that's, that's where the metaphor is going. If you're anchored, you're in a boat, generally, right? That's the thought that comes to your brain. And the world creates waves. Those waves carry you places, currents. And if you wind up just following the world, if you're not anchored to something, you can wind up in some really dangerous waters. So you need to be biblically anchored. You need to be anchored to the Word of God. World changers. Christ called us to change the world, people. He did it with 12 people. The good news, we have millions. But we need to pour into them. This statement that I have up here, it's important. Um, Because whenever your child is nine years old, they will be tempted by things that you didn't see until you were 19. It's the truth. It's the way our culture is going right now. And if they're not grounded and anchored by the word of God, poisonous messages in this world will touch their hearts. It will pull them away. But if we follow the statement, they will be world changers. They will change the status quo. Now, it won't be easy trying to parent this way. We all know that parenting is already difficult. I'm not even a parent, and I screw things up all the time. I was watching my niece, my middle niece, Rory. She's another character. I love her so much. But she, she has no fear of, like, bugs or snakes or lizards, so I have to watch her whenever she's outside. And the other day, we have these lizards that kind of scurry up under the house and come up and say hello, and I freak out because I'm terrified of, of lizards, like big lizards. Like, small lizards, not so, but this is... Mm. So um, she sees this lizard come out, and she runs straight over to it. And she's like, oh, my gosh. And she gets right down there. And I was like, and, you know, I was trying my best to stay calm. But instead, what came out was, Rory, get back. You'll die. (laughs) That's permanent damage, everybody. Psychologically, she won't ever get over that, I'm pretty sure. She's she's still young yet, maybe, after some counseling. uh, They'll trace it back to me, and I'll look at Colt, my brother, and go, I don't remember that. But I do. And... um, so it's hard to be a parent. And now we have to add this to, yeah, we should. We've taken on that responsibility as Christians and as parents. God has given you everything you need to do. Everything you need to do what he calls you to do. That's a sentence structure problem. My bad. And he calls you to impart life into the next generation. It's one of the most important things you will do on earth. But good news God believes in you. Amen. And the Bible believes, uh, the Bible gives us a few things to do in order to accomplish this task. So in Deuteronomy 6.4, that's where a lot of what we're going to be talking about today rests. So if you have your Bibles, please open them. Um, I uh, listened to a speaker on Wednesday. He came and uh, guest, uh, guest spoke at uh, the youth group. And uh, he was amazing, but he, whenever nobody opened their Bibles, he's like, please, everybody turn in your Bibles. He goes, why would you come to battle without your sword? So everybody, please, get your Bibles. Open them. Bring them here. It's important. Wear them out. So it says here in Deuteronomy 6, Moses, this is Moses speaking. He's uh, giving one of his final big talks, and he's gathered all of Israel to speak. And he says, hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I can tell you've heard this before. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We're going to take this text and we're going to break it down to give us some ideas about how to handle creating a generation of world changers for Christ. So I have three points today. First point, we must enlist supporting voices. Parents, your voice is always going to be the most important one. So don't take what I'm about to say to mean that you have to shut up. Far from it. You will always be the most important voice to your child. But you cannot be the only voice. It doesn't make sense. It's not possible. There are way too many voices out there telling people how to live their lives. And they will listen to one of them. Also, let alone fact, whenever your kid turns about 13 years old, your IQ will drop about 50 points. It's true. Just ask the child. And um, all that brilliant advice that you've been giving this entire time, all that prescience that you had about their situation, it's all of a sudden going to become dumb and irritating. And their friends, they're going to get real smart all of a sudden. They're going to be so wise. That, that weirdo that used to eat paste, little Petey in kindergarten, he's got the wisdom of Solomon about him now. And they're going to listen to him. Won't that be spectacular? There's good news for you parents, though. There's a curve. You will start to get smarter whenever that kid turns about 17, 18 years old, just in time to start paying for college. The point is, you won't always be there with them, but you always will be the most important voice. Keep speaking. Moses even indicates in his speech here, he says, Hear, O Israel. I don't think I threw that up there, but no problem. He says, hear, O Israel, not hear, O parents of the nation of Israel. He's talking to everybody, the entire nation. It's all of our jobs to do these things. You guys ever hear the phrase, it takes a village? Whenever I was a kid, it takes a village ended with, it takes a village to rat Payton out so he gets grounded and doesn't get to go see Batman forever. (laughs) Turns out it actually ends with, it takes a village to raise a child. To raise a child. Let's make sure that the village is full of godly people. People will be a positive influence. Intentionally invite godly people in your children's lives to help solidify the foundation of following Jesus. Where's a good place to find these people? You can start right here in this room. Um, This church is a big proponent of this. I don't even have kids, and they're already like at me. It's just like, when are you going to have them so I can take them and, and, and teach them about the Word of God? I want to read to them. I want to do all this kind of stuff. It's amazing the people that we have here that are willing to help you with this. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that it's basically my entire job here as youth pastor. Please don't take my job, Samuel. <laughs> but I also can't be the only person outside of the parents that is a positive influence on your kids. So let's, that's why you have, to, you have to hang with godly friends. Yes. Are you doing that? Have you made the godly friends? Have you branched out in this room and found people that, you could, that could be a support for you? Iron sharpens iron, guys. You need to plug them into next. 
That's my little plug for my ministry. Plug them into next. Get them going on Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Sometimes free pizza, always free drinks. But we also worship. We hear a great word, and we always talk about Jesus. Become a part of life groups and build a godly community. Have you plugged yourself into a life group? We have, we have them. We do. You just need to show up. It's a good place to get those godly friends. You also need to become more aware of who your kids spend time with. This includes coaches, teachers, their friends. Get to know them. Get to know what they're about. Get to know what their goals are for your children. Understand that they need to be on the same track with you toward achieving that sentence that I just posted up there. Parents, I beg you, you have to enlist supporting voices because you can't do this alone. Now, for those of you without kids that have checked out for this particular statement, I want you to know that you don't get to sit this one out. You don't, because guess what? You're the supporting voices. See yourself as a supporting voice. You're a part of the village that's going to rat this kid out. I mean, raise this child. (laughs) You're a coach. You're a teacher. You're a friend. You're a next-door neighbor. You're a next leader. Another plug, if you want to be a next leader, come see me. We'll talk. Got things that you can do. All you adults, you need to see your role as coming alongside the parents and helping them raise the next generation into a group of godly world changers. So number one, enlist supporting voices. Number two, we must learn to raise the expectations. Okay. Moses said in Deuteronomy 6, 5, he said, Love the Lord your God with, your God with part of your heart and with some of your soul and with a little bit of your... No, no, that's not what it says, is it? See, all too often we do that. We blunt the message. We pull back on things. We're concerned that uh, if we raise those expectations, they won't be met. What it actually says, what Moses is actually saying here, is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Every bit of it. We can't pull back. Moses said this for a reason. It's the expectation we need to live by. Jesus never lowered the, ex- the standards or the expectations when he invited people to follow him. Yeah. Um, he never like, looked at uh, one of his disciples and said, you know what, come along, just try real hard. No, he said, lose everything. Lose everything. Lose your life and follow me. He had a man come up to him that was very much into material things. What did he say? Get rid of them. Give them to the poor and then you can follow me. In other words, die to yourself and then come follow me. Because all those worldly things, they're just holding you back. Back uh, in the early New Testament days, um, a child was required to memorize the first five books, word for word, of the Bible. They were required to recite this verbatim. Nowadays... Let's get your kids to actually say them in order. They had different expectations back then, higher. In 2005, there was an article, a cover story called Meet the Twixters that was in Time magazine. And Twixter is a, for those of you that don't know, most of you, um, is a post-adolescent, pre-adulthood individual between the, betwixt Twixters, betwixt the age of 18 and 25. It's a phenomenon that they were studying in 2005, and they were finding that these 
students, these Twixters, lacked direction, lacked focus, and lacked a purpose in life. They felt like they, there was something else out there, but they didn't know what it was. I can get that. I understand that. It wasn't that long ago that I was in that same scenario. Actually, I don't feel like I'm an adult yet. I own a house. I have a wife. Something about that seems irresponsible, but I still don't feel like an adult. I get that it's hard. They gave us a dozen shows, including Sesame Street, whenever we were going from baby to school age. But they gave us nothing for whenever we were going from school age to adulthood, and that's when we really needed it. What's a mortgage? Put the puppets on. I need to know. But even though I can understand where the Twixters were coming from, when you look in the Bible, here's what it says about this period in life. 1 Corinthians 13.11 says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. We can't continue to allow the next generation to have this ability to return to childhood when the going gets tough. What did I say before? What was in that sentence, that, 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 that strong verb I was talking about? Unleash. Unleash. Not hobble like Jimmy Kahn at the end of Misery. Whoever laughs, you're so cool. <laughs> Look at them and say, I believe there is so much more in you. That should be the overriding phrase whenever it comes to these type of scenarios. Whenever someone is just like, it's so hard. It's so hard. I can't do this. I believe there is so much more in you, son, daughter. You have more in you. Push. I've invested this time in you. You have so much more. Whenever you do this, you allow for more growth. You allow them to have higher goals for themselves. And I think you'll be really impressed with how far they'll go whenever you're not telling them what they can't do by lowering their expectations. Also, we need to teach our children to mentor other children and train them as well. We have students that are helping with the kids' ministry. That's, that's basically us putting their faith in their own hands. They're owning their faith. It's one of the principles that I have to live by as a youth pastor. I have to get the kids to own their faith. That basically means taking it out of the hands of their parents. Their parents have been ruling over when they pray when they worship, how they do these things. Eventually, it needs to go into their hands. And that's my job as a youth pastor by the end of it is to get them to own their faith because if they don't own their faith, the world will own them. And one of the best ways for a team to take ownership of their faith is to get them involved in their own ministry. Students helping out in our children's ministry, that's, that's one way. It teaches them to lead. We're creating supporting voices for other children as well. We're handing that torch on to the students whenever we're putting them in there. And it's how they become world changers. So we must enlist supporting voices. We have to raise expectations. And the third thing, third thing, mouth. And the third thing is that whenever it comes to our faith, we must keep it real. If we want those to come who come behind us to have the same or even greater faith than we have, we must keep it real. Okay, so I'm going to take a sip of water right now because, as you can see, my mouth is very dumb. And um, water, water replenishes the knowledge that my mouth will have, I hope. So we're back in Deuteronomy, and Moses says here, 
in Deuteronomy 6, 7, he says, impress them on your children. He's talking about uh, the commandments to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your strength. Um, And here he's going to break it down for our daily life. Talk about them when you sit at home. Guys, this could be dinner time. Are you having spiritual discussions? Are you praying at dinner time? Are you opening up the floor to hear what your children have to say about their own spirituality, about Jesus? Are you doing this? Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. This could be when you're driving them to baseball practice or ballet, school. Make it a part of your daily life, guys. Talk about this stuff. Don't be scared. It'll get much easier after the first few times, trust me. When you lie down, this is bedtime. He's talking about bedtime here. When you lie down, are you praying with your kids? Are you reading a scripture? Are you, there's nothing more binding to a family than spending that time just before bed praying, holding hands, and then they get to go to bed with that in their brains instead of whatever else has been pelting them all day. Pray with your kids at bedtime. And when you get up, this is the morning scripture, the devotion together before you go on your way. This is just making, a part of, making faith a part of every moment in your life, every moment in your life. More water. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Tie a string around your finger that reminds you to, open, to get your hand in your pocket. Open the note that's in there and says, Hey guys, God is not a part of my life. He is my life. God's not just an add-on. He is the center of everything you do. Now here's where I'll get some pushback, and this is in closing. I don't want to shove it down my kid's throat. That's what a lot of people will say. I'm scared that if I do, they'll reject it. Look, whenever you shove it down their throats and there's hypocrisy in the home, oh, they will reject it every time. They will reject it every time. But when what you say does not line up with what you do, they will pay attention more to what you do. It's the truth. Kids are smart on that level. On the other hand, though, if it is very real to you, they will see the benefits, and they will see the authenticity. And more times than not, they will crave. Everybody say crave. Crave. Oh, that's great cereal. Little squares with the chocolate inside. Did I mention I'm on a diet? Crave that relationship and that intimacy that you have with God. But if you are not authentic, I'm telling you, they can smell a fake, and they can smell it fast, guys. Three years old is whenever a child develops their long-term memory. Did you know that? Three years old. They start remembering what you do, and they're going to hold on to that. They can smell a fake. So if you want them to read God's Word, let them see you in God's Word. Pull that Bible off the shelf. Blow the dust off of it. It's okay. The words are still potent inside, guys. They still are effective. Open it up. Read it. Have them read it. Let them enjoy spending time in the Word with you. They need to see you in God's Word if you want them to read their Bible. If you want them to be people of prayer, make prayer a daily part of not just your family life, but your private time as well. Let them see you on your knees praying. They don't, it doesn't take much, guys, to pray every day. That should be an open conversation that you have with Jesus. And it's too often we just let it go because we're so busy, especially with kids. But they need to see you in prayer if you expect them to pray. 
They need to live by your example. If you want them to believe that church is a priority, make it a priority in your life. Are you coming every week? Are you dedicating yourself to a ministry? Are you coming here helping us set up, tear down? Hopefully that's going to be ending really soon. But are you making it a priority in your life to be here? And if you gripe about you're running with the wrong friends and you don't have a life group or you don't have godly friends that you're hanging with, if you're hanging with the wrong people, do not expect them to do things that you wouldn't do. If you want them to stop pursuing the things that are not of the Lord, that are of this world, and start living for something that matters, stop going into debt, buying things that you don't need with money you don't have. Your kids need to see the reality of the presence of God in your life. And when they do, they'll want it. They'll crave it. You have to believe in them, and you have to believe in yourself. Christ has called you to unleash a generation of single-minded, Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers upon this world. It's not easy. No one said being a parent would be. But you can do it. I believe in you. But more importantly, God believes in you. And he's given you everything that you need in order to do what he's called you to do. Today, we're going to pray two prayers. The first one is our salvation prayer. Most of you have heard this before, but for those of you that haven't, or for those of you that haven't spoken it before, it's a prayer to dedicate your life to God, to accept him into your heart. And it's very quick. It's very fast. And I want you to uh, just repeat it after me. Father God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've hurt you. I believe there's a heaven and I believe there's a hell. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins and save me from hell. I know that I'm a sinner and I've hurt you and I've wronged you. Please forgive me. Come into my life and save my soul. I will trust in you and live my life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that uh, prayed that for the first time today, there's a, there's a place on your connection card that you can check and you can take it to our first steps table. They have a Bible and uh, some, some encouraging words for you. Please make sure that you do that today. Now, I want to pray for all you parents out there, for all you leaders, for all you guides. So with everybody with your heads bowed, let's continue. Father God, I pray for confidence for this group of people, Lord. Confidence that they know that they're doing the right things. Put it upon their hearts, Lord, that living a Christian life is is more than just saving their own souls. They could be saving the souls of their children, Lord. Their example means a great deal. Let them have confidence that this is the way to go. And let them have clarity of purpose, Lord, that their life should be held as an example. I also, Lord, pray for resolve. All too often, the world gets let in. We wind up riding the wrong wave, winding up in dangerous waters ourselves. Lord, I pray that uh, we have the focus to raise this group of world changers, these biblically anchored, these Christ-centered, these single-minded world changers. In Jesus' name we pray. That's it for this time. Tune in next time for week three of I Believe in You. Have a blessed one.